This is Gabriel R. Sanders, your fellow traveler on this segment of The Jewish Journey. I've been speaking lately about a very personal decision that I made that took me out of the world of evangelical Christianity a number of years ago and into the realm of Torah Judaism. Now, when I say evangelical Christianity, I need to define that for some people. I'm really speaking about the charismatic Pentecostal movement. So for those who know the theological landscape will kind of know where to position where I was. This was not an overnight decision to go from point A to point B. And there was a gap of several years between leaving the church and actually entering the synagogue. Neither move was comfortable for me. And the years in between were, I'd say, equally uncomfortable. I learned an important lesson from this. What is it? The pathway to one's spiritual home is not necessarily paved with fresh asphalt. In fact, often the path isn't paved at all. And often, it's very difficult to even see the path. You know, if you've ever driven in a snowstorm at night, barely seeing 10 feet in front of you as you kind of grip the wheel and crawl along, then you know what I'm talking about. Now, from time to time, very gracious Christians hear about my story, and they send me very interesting emails. I got one recently asking if I'd ever really met the resurrected Savior, the risen Messiah. There's an assumption behind the question. It's subtle, but telling. It kind of goes like this. If he were truly the Savior, and I truly believed in him, then I would never have left the church. However, if I left the church, then that was surely an indication that I'd never truly believed. This reminds me a little bit of an inner wrestling I went through some years ago as a young missionary living in Israel. Yes, I was a missionary to Jews in Israel for about four years. And I remember meeting some tremendous people of great character, several of whom had survived the Holocaust. I remember one of them hitting me with a pretty hard question about my faith. He was a German Jew, in fact, and he looked at me coldly and boldly and he said, you're saying, if I don't believe as you believe, I'll be in hell forever. I nodded, and I said, yes. He retorted to me, young man, I lost all of my family in Hitler's crematoria. I've already been through hell, and so have they. Do you think your Savior will reject us for not believing, and he'll accept the repentant Nazi who does? Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> I remember how hollow my Bible college training seemed to me at the moment. All the systematic theology I'd studied, all the verses I'd memorized, all the sermons I'd heard, all the prayer meetings I'd attended, you know, pouring out my heart in earnest supplication, none of that gave me any substantive answer at that moment for this man. And I remember mumbling something, again, hollow-sounding about the devil seeking to destroy the Jews in World War II. Now, he'd ask me a question, and I had no answer for him. It wouldn't be the last time I faced such questions from Jews, but it was the first time that I mustered the courage to ask myself a very direct question. This faith system that I came to embrace as a teenager, this born-again experience, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues and the many claims of miraculous gifts, was all of this true because I believed it, or did I believe it because it was true? I remember meeting some Mormon missionaries in Israel in my kibbutz Hebrew language program. Now, as an evangelical, I had studied why Mormons were not considered Orthodox Christians. They were really considered to be aberrations or a cult. And yet, as I got to know these two missionaries, I saw very similar qualities of dedication in them, very similar faith, uh, love of God, cherishing of the scriptures, longing for world redemption, and a very earnest commitment to spread their version of the gospel message. They reminded me a lot of me and most of my friends, as a matter of fact. Now, talk about cognitive dissonance. Now, sometime after I became a ger, which is the Hebrew word for convert to Judaism, I was a missionary with a very well-known organization that targets Jews for conversion that 
that came up to me and challenged me saying, well, obviously, Sanders, you were never saved. You spent 20 years in the church, but you never really knew the Lord. And I smiled at him quietly and I asked him, how do you know that you do? And he said, well, simple. I believed in him and my life changed. And so I knew where this would go. I've been there many times. And I asked him, is your changed life the compelling evidence of the validity of your faith? He said, absolutely. And to that, I said, let me ask you a question about somebody that I know in business. He was an angry man. He was a hot-tempered man. He had an alcohol problem. He'd even abused his family in, in his anger. And one day, somebody shared the gospel story with him, and he repented. He believed. He changed completely. He said he felt a, a joy unspeakable, like his soul was filled with some kind of glory. He experienced a, a strange glow in his chest, around his heart. He, he spoke of amazing answers to prayer and a hunger to study the Word. In time, he became a Bible study leader, and he held family meetings in his home every Monday night. I asked the missionary, what do you think about this fellow? And he nearly shouted at me. He said, it's clear he was saved. He found the Lord. And Sanders, that's what you need. And I smiled again and I said, well, you know, it's kind of puzzling because the church that he belonged to has its headquarters in Salt Lake City. And this weekly family night Bible study, that's part of the regular outreach program of the Mormon church. Now, according to your doctrine, which is the same as the doctrine I held before, he can't possibly be saved. He's bound for hell along with the family he's having a Bible study with. Yet he believed and his life changed. So is a changed life based on faith really an accurate barometer for what truth is? So the missionary was frustrated. He muttered something at me about how I was intellectualizing. I heard him say something about how the devil had clearly done a number on my head, and I think he went off to talk to somebody else. So this brings us to one of the foundational differences between Torah Judaism and other faith systems. Torah Judaism speaks far less about faith in God and much more about knowing God. The Torah declares, for example, What's that mean? You have been shown to know that the Lord, He is God, and there is none beside Him. The Torah goes on further to say, Which means, And you shall know this day, and cause these words to dwell in your heart. In the book of Psalms, we read this imperative command, Know that the Lord, He is God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Judaism does exercise faith in God, but that faith is based on knowing God, and that knowledge of God stretches back in time to very significant events that happened less to individuals and much more to the nation as a whole, together as a community. Probably the best historical example of that happened on the heels of the Exodus experience from Egypt when an estimated three million Jews stood around the foot of Mount Sinai and they experienced a simultaneous revelation of God, not to the individual, to the entire Jewish people. So they didn't just believe in God as a result of you know, some feeling that each one had. They knew. And because of that knowing, then they exercised faith. Sometimes it came haltingly, but they exercised faith in their Creator. And they transmitted this national revelation down through the chain of their progeny, from generation to generation, especially through the annual Passover meal. But that's just one of many links in the living chain of Jewish history, going back to the original experience. Not by one person, not by 12 people, not by 500 people but by millions of people together. And this God, who was experienced at one time by these millions, actually made a covenant with them, became beloved to them, and he wouldn't forsake them, he said. Even if they went away from him, he promised to maintain a remnant of them, 
and that in the end he would regather them from all the corners of the earth. Now, who would he regather if they'd all become members of some other faith system? This is a pretty weighty subject, and it deserves a lot more examination. I'd like to refer you to an online resource that has some wonderful, wonderful speakers that you can listen to. The URL is very simple to remember, because the URL is simpletoremember.com. And on the front page there, the home page, you'll see a media link. It says media. You can click on that, and that'll take you to a page of audio lessons by a bunch of different speakers. And I think they're all great, but you'll form your own opinion on that. But let me recommend two that are speaking about the subject of the present and historical significance of what happened to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman. He's speaking on the divine origin of the Torah. It's actually first on the list of speakers that appear on the left. I'd also like to recommend Rabbi Jonathan Rieti. He has a very compelling discussion on this. His name appears on the right side of the media page at simpletoremember.com. You'll find hours and hours of, I think, pretty valuable, very rich content there. And I think it'll make really clear why simple Jews who know have simply said no when others approach them with claims that God wants to take them a different direction than the original path that began at Mount Sinai. Now, while there are many great speakers at simpletoremember.com and many great answers to really great questions, I hope that if you spend some time there, that you'll ask yourself some really great questions. That's one of Judaism's gifts to the world, great questions. In my former missionary life, I was discouraged from asking too many questions. I was told, just believe. Asking too many questions was the sign of a doubting mind, and that, in turn, was the sign of the presence of the meddlesome devil. Why do we even bother to showcase this subject? What's the name of this category? We call it the Jewish journey. We're all on a journey, and we can all learn something from people who've walked a path that we didn't know, and we can equally learn something from people who've walked a path that we thought we did know. My humble role is just to encourage us to ask questions and then to direct that toward the source of our life, Borei HaOlam, the creator of the world, who will then reconnect us with our real source. See, the Jewish journey, the path of prosperous spiritual growth, has followed a time-tested methodology. And when Jews cling to it, individuals and communities thrive, and they have a constructive influence in the world. And yet when Jews get apathetic about it, they go through a kind of spiritual entropy and atrophy. And they have a destructive influence in the world. So what's this time-tested methodology? It's the learning of Torah, one-on-one from a wise mentor who received it from a wise mentor who received it from a wise mentor. It's a person-to-person living chain of mouth-to-ear transmission. That's how it works. So a person could have had a great bar or bas mitzvah, a fantastic confirmation, and even graduate from an Ivy League yeshiva. But if he or she hasn't had a mentored connection to a chacham, to a sage, then it's safe to say that this person has learned a very anemic form of Judaism at best. You say, well, I got a problem. You know, I'm listening from North Platte, Nebraska, or Ketchikan, Alaska, or maybe even you're in Provo, Utah. There may be no vibrant Jewish community near you that has a a cadre of teachers and a menu of different lessons, but there is a wonderful program called Partners in Torah that offers you, I call it, an accessible ramp to the ancient path of learning. And it happens on the phone. It's once a week. It's for an hour. You and a mentor. It's free and it's freeing. So while I've spent some time today talking about certain aspects of my journey, I'm really more interested in your journey. I'm just kind of an excuse to get to yours. So to find out more about how to connect your Jewish destiny to the ancient Jewish wisdom, write down this number or remember this web address that I'll give you. The number is easy. 800, the word study, and the number 42, 800-STUDY-42. 
or visit partnersintelra.com. And if you're a committed Telra learner yourself, you can make a big difference for someone else by becoming a mentor. Believe me, you'll learn more than ever before as you share your Jewish knowledge with another. 800-STUDY-42 or partnersintelra.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Gabrielle Sanders Show. So for the Jewish journey, this is Gabrielle Arie Sanders. I appreciate your emails and I invite your feedback. And remember the URL I mentioned, simpletoremember.com. Spend some time there. You'll find it hard to forget. Till our next journey, all the best. May your deeds be blessed, your mind unstressed. May you pass every test and just forget all the rest. Bye for now.